RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Pro Athlete Supplementation. Check them out at pas-nutrition.co.uk for all your supplementation needs. And don't forget that subscribers to the Rugby Renegade program get a 40% discount on retail prices. Yes, we're back with episode 53 of the Rugby Renegade podcast. My name is Jamie Bain and today I interview consultant strength and conditioning coach Sam Portland. Uh, Sam's currently working with Kenya Sevens uh, and has experience uh, with Wasps and Ealing. Uh, I have great, great discussion with him about a few different topics, um, touch on a lot about speed development, that's something he's passionate about. Uh, and he's got a workshop coming up soon, so make sure you listen all the way to the end to hear details about that. Give it a listen and let us know what you think. Hi Sam, welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast, great to have you on. Why don't we start by you just telling us a little bit about your background, how you got into strength and conditioning and uh, who you've worked with. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for having me on, mate. I really appreciate it. It's always uh, good to talk shop. Um, in terms of you know my my career background, um, so you know that classic um, dream of wanting to be a professional rugby player. I was doing everything I could do. Um, broke my leg when I was sort of in a position where I was being looked at um, from a distance by clubs, um, and um, sort of had to renegotiate what I was doing, ended up going to uni, sort of fast forward, back playing semi-pro rugby. And then in 2012, um, this uh, there was a tweet that went out by Guadango, just said, anyone in the UK, there's a top coach coming to England, um, you need to go and check this guy out. And in my time at uni, I'd been following like Zach Evanes, Joe DeFranco, you know the guys. And... Um, like the guy that was coming to the UK was actually James Smith, the thinker. Yeah. And funnily enough, he was only coaching. Um, he was coaching the son of Wasp's owner um, at the time, which was only 20 minutes in the car from my house. So it was crazy. So I rocked up. I was like, sweet. I emailed him, not really knowing what I was walking into. Um, Two weeks later, I'd, I was there every day and realised like my mind had been absolutely blown. Um, he's an incredible academic coach, and I then applied for an internship at Wasps. And you know, it's funny how things work because the reason why James ended up in the country was through um, through Kierwen and Flat, who was the head of academy SNC at the time at Wasps, through their connections in America. Um, and James gave me a reference, um, and then from there, uh, like he coached me through my um, through my assessments and got my internship. But was started off in the academy, um, got fast tracked. People moved on and ended up with the first team, doing all the sports science, uh, return to play stuff with the first team. Bounced on when they went to. Coventry and took a role with Ealing Trailfinders um, and, you know, just continued to build the speed development, power development program there, sort of just bringing, because obviously in the championship, you know, my my office was the referee's changing room uh, at the time, 
Um, so they expanded quite quick because you're aware of sort of the growth. I came in just the year that they just survived relegation. Um, and then we all came in that summer. And then from there, um, and in and around that, I'd sort of always worked for myself. I started as a PT whilst through uni so I was always sort of trying to earn my own pocket money um, and within that it gave me opportunities to work in track and field because um, at uni I was coaching people for free um, and you know it just opens doors for you doesn't it really so but then yes yeah, so I was consulting with different people then um, and then fast forward at Christmas Last year, got an opportunity to work with uh, uh, English-based NFL player named Alex Gray. Um, so did all of his off-season with him. Have been sort of expanding my online profile and and online remote coaching. Um, and uh, I'm now doing some active consulting with the Kenyan Rugby Union. Um, so just picked them up for the last two series of their sevens um, uh, tour. And, you know, coaching, because it's off-season, coaching professionals um, in parks at the moment, you know, working on their speed and just doing a few other bits and pieces than, with them there. So just keeping fingers in a lot of pies, really, mate. That's that's pretty much the, the fast forward version of, of 10 years. Yeah, yeah that sounds, sounds cool. Um, so let's talk a bit more about uh, your work with Kenya Sevens. Um, what, what was your, your first impression when you saw them and what sort of work you've been doing with them? Okay, so this is really interesting. Again, and it does prove it just proves, you know, for me, I believe that you know, if you if, if you do good work and and you're nice to people, things sort of come your way. Um, you know, Buddhists call it karma, but I think the so what how it all came about is that I. Um, I got a phone call from their liaison officer. His name's Tyrone Sterry, and he'll kill me if I didn't plug him because he used to coach me when I was like 12. Uh, taught me how to tackle because um, I was a winger, couldn't tackle, skinny, fast, couldn't catch. So there you go, mate, you're on the wing. <laughs> and he basically, uh, ever since then, we've always kept close. He's kind of like a surrogate uncle sort of thing to me. And he was their liaison officer. So he called me up and said, Sam, listen, they've traveled over and they don't have an S&C coach. Um, would you mind, you know, helping out? I've spoke to him about you. I know your position. Um, do you want to do it? And I was like, absolutely, more than happy to do so. Um, obviously, I had to have a meeting with the head coaches and bits and pieces and, and dot all the I's and cross all the T's. Um, but then when I, I rocked up for their captain's run before London, and it was really, really interesting because – you know, for me, having worked in, you know, say, for instance, at Wasp, where you've got an abundance of resources and everything like that, um, to then to then meeting these guys, it was it was really interesting because it's, it's very it's clear. Obviously, they come from Kenya. You know, there's not a great deal of wealth, relatively speaking. Um, and but their whole approach to excuse me, the way that they play their relationship with the coaches, their relationship with each other, and their immediate relationship to me was um, extremely humbling. Um, they were very, very coachable. Um, they were, obviously there was some, some of the lads' English wasn't as good as the others, so there were a few language barriers, so with some of the stuff that I did, I had to change the way I coached. Um, you know, I pride myself being a demo expert, so 
copy me goes a long way um and uh they they just uh responded really really well to everything i gave them um and you know some of these guys um have jobs back home in kenya that they do in between tournaments and stuff so they've got a real high level of appreciation of where they are and what they're doing um you know for instance some of the lads on the tour this year the first time they went on an airplane was coming on the hsbc7 series wow. so that's the type of person to deal with yeah. oh, that's cool and and then talking about um kind of what you've what you've done with them i've seen a, a bit on social media of kind of the, the speed work you're doing um might be a good time to sort of discuss your philosophy on on speed development and training yeah so i think coming in obviously you know there was 14 or so lads that i didn't know um and uh, you know, I wanted to make sure that I was ticking all the right boxes with them. You know, appropriate warm-ups on on captain's run and, and and in the in the matches, and just being able to to be able to to deliver them just the most appropriate dose that they need at the time. Obviously, we we couldn't spend time going through mechanics and bits and pieces, so we did a lot of games. We created a lot of games that required. Um, you know, there's the one where they're just dodging in and out of each other on the Instagram. I just call that Indiana Jones. Um, and there, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, the reference, don't you? Uh, you've seen films. Um, there's going to be some people listening to this going, who the fuck is Indiana Jones? <laughs> they, um, so, and within that drill, uh, you've basically got people shuttling forward and back across the five-meter channel at varying speeds, and we open it up for varying widths, um, and we treat it just as... For, so the explanation of that drill is just um, extensive change of direction. And obviously, you know, how many... this the, the amount of time, especially we change the direction and then applied speed mechanics to that, timing is the thing that makes the difference. Um, obviously you've got the reactive element of agility but then obviously you've got change of direction and being able to adjust and and um, if you were to take it and apply it to track and field with hurdling let's say like spotting the hurdle so you it's all understanding your distance your timing your spacing to where you are relative to the task that you've got to negotiate and then you've got to pick the right tool for it so for me, especially with those guys straight away and on captain's run, I wasn't. we weren't going to be running max sprints. I'd never met them before. So I was like, right, let's have some fun and let me see as a coach, let me see what they're capable of. So we just slowed it down, got them to, you know, you just got to pick the right tool to, to negotiate. And some of them were very, very good at change of direction. Obviously, they're competing on the world stage. Um, and it, and it, creates a fun out of failing with it as well because you know you end up just bumping into your mate like bumper cars um so if uh if you were to sort of bring that into sort of my sort of quote-unquote philosophy and ideas around developing speed is um i was very fortunate that when before altis was altis it was the world athletic center and i went over there with a friend of mine colleague at the time um, and we ended up, you know, we were there with it for a week. Um, and there was a couple of things that really just stuck out. And, uh, you know, I was like a fly around shit down path and just watching him, listening to him. And there's a couple of things that he just sort of really said is like, if it looks shit slow, it's going to be shit fast. And f for me, that really resonated, especially with team sport athletes, because, um, 
within speed we have this inherent nature to try and because it's called speed to run fast and you know I've, I've developed this sort of firm belief that you've got to really earn the right to run fast and earning the right to run fast is to be able to establish and, and master those um, fundamental positions in in a in a closed to open continuum applying fundamental skill acquisition or like general motor programming um, increasing um, so I stole it off Nick Winkleman as well when we were out there he just he had a coach like a caveman presentation which is it was really good um, and it was it, when he talked about speed within it it was just like it's positions patterns power so for me you take that concept and you can apply that to everything from a, even a long-term athletic development point of view that you know, if you can't ma- master the positions then then how are you going to apply rhythm timing and tempo to it and then increase velocity because it's going to break down and for me like the art of coaching speed and the development of speed is is you're only solving the problem of the speed that your technique allows you to achieve does that make sense yeah yeah definitely and it, i mean we do it in the gym don't we you don't you don't chuck a lot of weight on someone if they've got poor squat or deadlift technique they've yeah. got like i say they've got to earn the right to do it and and the intensity in speed development is that you know doing it faster so yeah, yes. that's a great point yeah and, and then we get you know within that you know i, I always talk about um and I've, i'm lucky I've, I've had a few few conversations with jonas and and uh, i took alex gray over to speedworks with marvin who's the guy based out of london for speedworks and you know we always talk like talk about solving problems at at the at the hertz that they're moving at so for instance you know it's the same old like stuff it's like everyone reads read the book legacy and then everyone was sweeping the sheds yeah and you know you sort of apply that sort of uh, stuff to to the idea of of coaching it's like i can watch usain bolt uh, or I can watch CJ Uja, or I can watch Reese Prescott and, and talk to those coaches, or even Dom Ashwell, who run the men's indoor seniors, is running like 10-2 at like 18 or something. And they're solving 11 metres per second problems within their coaching. Uh, whereas in rugby, you'd be lucky uh, within a, a, an elite professional to be solving 10 metres per second problems. And the difference there from 10, 11 to 12 metres per second is, uh, for me, is huge in terms of what coaching you're delivering uh, and the load. And then, obviously, it goes into step load because, obviously, every step is a rep and then the, the fatigue element of every step load. And, you know, you've got this whole realm of problems that just running fast can't take care of. Yeah, no, that's really interesting, really interesting. Now, um, this is a question we ask all uh, all the guests on the podcast and it's what is the biggest mistake rugby players make when it comes to strength and conditioning? Fucking hell. Um, <laughs> reading James Haskell's book? <laughs> um, no. Um, Best answer uh, yet so far. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, right. The biggest mistake that rugby players, rugby players make or rugby strength and conditioning coaches? Um, rugby players. Rugby players. Rugby players. Um, that they... Uh, they can't see the bigger picture um, and that I mean that they associate fatigue with development so um, you know it's kind of and, and then that's in that's inherent with um, 
it goes into the philosophies of coaches and the games and, and previous experience and stuff like that. But for me, you know, um, a, what, appreciating what good work is and what quality is. And also the one thing that I found, especially with a lot of my guys that I've worked with over the years, is that the undervalue a good warm-up. Like if you, from my experience with track and field, you know, if you, you know, you'll know this yourself. Is like you speak to the coach, like right, you got six minutes to warm a player up. Like if you take them through a progressive warm up, they will be absolutely blowing. They will be absolutely like everything could be turned on, everything could be working, and they'll realise like how far off they really are in terms of physical development, um, just because they think that you know that they can. They can just rock up and and just crack on, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, again, I'm stealing from your social media a bit, but I saw a post cool. um, where you're talking about um, kind of pitfalls of, of what people call high performance, um, and a few yeah. few of the thing, few of your points kind of resonate with me. So, I just wanted you to kind of elaborate on those a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll uh, let me pull it up now because that, that was a really interesting that post came out of a lot of reflection and obviously because I, like you know i'm in a position now where i'm working for myself so i wouldn't be wise to sack myself um so i you know i can be a little bit more vocal with with some of my opinions and it just became quite a reflective practice exercise really um and i mean i can roll through it um you know the big one for me, yeah, is like when we stop thinking we can actually control what we want the outcome to be and start believing in our ability, then things become more certain. You know, that that for me comes through the incessant nature of control of coaches. Like we believe, and this is talking about technical coaches as well as S&C coaches, um, you know, for me, there's this problem that we find that we believe that just because we rep a pattern, we rep a structure, um, we rep, you know, uh, an organization of, of, a, of a drill or whatever, that we can actually control what happens in the sporting arena. And within that, we then start creating excessive stress and over arousal to that situation. It's like, you know, in a game... Yeah, we, we've got a five-phase move um, with an expectation of something to happen. Well, what if what if they don't do what you think they're going to do? You know, you're you're limiting yourself to to the ability to actually make a, a true decision. Um, and within that, you find for me, I find that because we're there's a lot of like focus on sort of external stimulus you know what the opposition do we're going to do what we do to make sure the opposition do this it's still focused around the opposition um you know and it is more into sort of like the tactical element but then when you go in for like the snc side of coaching things and you know when you start actually like just really truly believing in yourself and your abilities then everything else just becomes tertiary to it and secondary to it. Because at the end of the day, if you go out and just focus on what you can control and what you've done, then it doesn't actually matter if you win or lose or draw or succeed or fail. 
because your inherent process in you and your belief and your thought process towards that belief structure is the thing that's the most powerful thing that you can do. And that's why, you know, that kind of like set off that whole post um, with regards to technology. You know, it is it. You know, I did it when I was young. I was looking at GPS. I was looking at RPEs, and and I was like, that's the thing that's guiding my coaching. It really isn't. It just it just mean like means that I can point the bow and keep pointing the bow in the right direction. You know, there's only a few numbers that I really, you know, truly care about, and you know, that's 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 PBs and and signing bonuses. You know. And that's kind of what what you're trying to achieve with technology is just pushing people to develop themselves and develop themselves in the right direction so you just keep them safe. The, I think the big one for me on this post was the professionalism comment. Um, and for those who've not read it, basically professionalism, a.k.a. the way in which an organization inflicts control on its members shackling their true ability and spirit. Within a large amount of people, the collective identity is a hybrid of faces. And however, many single words you use that summarize your culture means nothing. I'm a firm believer that when something becomes everything, it becomes nothing. In, an, in the organizations where it means everything, you lose the human touch and the revolving door spins on short-term stints at clubs. So within that, every – so if you take um, – you take something of value, right? You take something of value and then it has appeal. And you're drawn to that thing because of its appeal. So, you know, I always use the example, you know, every, and I talk to a few players about this, and I ha I've had it myself when, I'm, when I've gone and played. Your first session back from pre-season is probably your best season ever, your best session ever. Your skills are good, you're moving well, you know, everything's great. And then... The, it goes back into that control um, and goes back into that whole idea of, you know, we're going to be this, create this identity for us because this is our game. This is what we do. This is how we do things. When really you start neglecting the reason why um, you do them in the first place. So you have this case with a lot. And I, I feel sorry for some players that this is happens to is they're signed a club signs a player right sign a player based on their ability to do something and then they coach that ability out of them classic example um you know someone who faces a lot of criticism for instance is danny cipriani you know he's a true maverick in in in, in the words in the way that he plays and is it his fault that that causes problems for the people around him or are the people around him too engrossed in what we would call structure that they can't perform does that make sense yeah yeah yeah, no, yeah uh, i'm sort of going on a big one here but the you know and and within groups and this is like you must have been on a rugby social oh. right <laughs> yeah so being a rugby man yourself or any team or anyone's listening there right you've been in a group and you've gone out uh, and 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 when you go out with a group it it's it's awesome because everything you know fucking everything stories are created that are fantastic however what you do is you do see the different faces of people and you you see you know after a few drinks certain people migrate to each other you get the guys that go home early 
you get the guys that don't come home. You get, you know, you get the guys that end up at the strippers and the ones that end up at KFC. And, and that's where, you know, that example in itself, as crude as it is, shows you exactly the reason why you cannot create, um, uh, a successful sporting organization when you try and put everyone under the same umbrella. Yeah. Now I've seen it where people have tried to, like, say they've got this preconceived idea of what they want the culture to be, and yeah, and you look at these, you know, really successful clubs, you know, over the years where the salaries are less and go, oh, they've got a really good culture, and then mm. I guess, like you say, with the sweeping the sheds thing, everyone tries to kind of copy that culture, and yeah. it's, it's not going well. You know, what what are we good at? What 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 traits have our players got? And kind of yeah. let it almost happen naturally if you know what I mean everyone yeah, yeah. tries to be the next Saracens the next you know next Leicester and it it doesn't quite work and that that's why it's kind of I think some of the best things that I've been involved in team environments are where those those things have just naturally progressed yeah for sure um, do you think Alex Good got a phone call from his head coach after he'd been on the piss for four days in his rugby kit and told him off <laughs> no no I'd like to think he had a wash and maybe put another kit back on. I'd be like, listen, mate, a kit man needs his shirt back. Like, you know, crack on. Um, and, you know, that's that, you know, that proves a point. And that got so much hatred, you know, got so much stick. It's like, fucking hell, the bloke's a human. He wants to have a beer and go on a bender. It's not a problem. He's not hurting you. Yeah. It's not hurting anyone. And that's how their sort of, quote unquote, culture evolves. You call all these They're trying to pick the best things out of everything and try and put it all into one without actually having a human interaction with the people that are there. What yeah. do your players want? What do you want? Um, and, and how do you frame that? Because it's only going to crack. You can't, it's non-sustainable. You know, and, and, then, and then going like, right, it's going to be pressure. We're going to have pride. We're going to have this. We're going to have that. Listen, no, you're not. Because it's not going to work. You're enforcing different ideologies on people that it's just not gonna not gonna be the same elite sportsmen are good at sport and however they operate they're just human beings yeah yeah and often often forgotten yeah you think everyone can be molded to you know the ideal ideal player but yeah everyone's got to be treated differently so it's a great yeah answer. and then and then when i um when i went into with the kenyans and and like that was a, it was a, it was possibly the most enriching coaching experience I've had. Um, it was fantastic, and I can't speak highly enough of the guys. And I'm really looking forward to going out there and doing some more work with them. Um, their culture of their team is indicative of the culture of their country. So it's it wasn't the head coach saying we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we act like this. Now we we're just Kenyans. You know, before we went out to play Wales in France, they had the boombox on and they were singing and dancing. They had to win that game to keep their jobs for the next year to stay in the series. Like, if you were in an English changing room, you'd be having a 30-minute meeting. Yeah. You know, their their inherent belief, it goes back into, you know, they just believed in themselves. They'd done all the work. And, and you know, it just comes down to making that decision and I'm there on the touchdown I'm going fucking bonkers I'm beaming up shouting because I just really wanted to do well and you look over 
And the head coach is calm as anything because he knows, and I think this is a huge respect for any sort of head coach or any sort of coaching, uh, anyone that's doing anything where competition's involved, is that when that player crosses the line and that whistle starts, it's not really a lot you can do. Yeah. And because you as a coach and as a preparation uh, specialist to that sport is to allow your players and the people that you work with to make the decisions, not what you've told them to do, but to make the decisions when it all goes wrong. Yeah. I think it was, um, was it Mike Tyson who said, everyone has a plan until they're punched in the face. Yeah. And uh, it goes back to your you know very first point in that post. It's, you know, and, and overcoach is often a term, you know, you hear in terms of the technical side of things that, yeah, it kind of almost coach out the, the raw instinct in them. And and sometimes I've been in environments where players have been punished for, for doing something instinctive that was very good, but it went away from, you know, the original structure that was prescribed. Yeah, and, stick to the plan. Yeah. Listen, mate, did it work? Yes, then shut up. <laughs> yeah, and, which, is, which is bizarre because ultimately coaches are, are you know, defined by the results. So surely they yeah. should be encouraging whatever gets good results. You know? Yeah. Yeah, no, and it does. It goes back into that control. It's like, oh my god, I can't have a player that doesn't do what I tell him to. Yeah, maybe he doesn't do what you tell him to to do because he may see things a little bit differently. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's all it's interesting stuff. Lots yeah, of hours talking about. Um, again, another question we have that is um, a regular for our, our guests. Um, what advice would you give to an upcoming strength coach? Coach for free. Don't worry about the money. The reality of the industry is that you're never going to get paid millions. Um, and you do it because you want to do it. Um, and uh, I didn't take a penny for the two bits and pieces I did in Kenya. They didn't pay me for it. I did it because I wanted to do it. Um, because I wanted to get the experience. Um, obviously, that changes off the back of you know those two tournaments. However, you know I paid for my own flight to Paris because I wanted to coach those players and, and get better. You know, everyone sort of complains about internships and complains about, you know, I've got to work for free. You know, I've got a youth development group, which I try and um, bring uh, coaches in. It's only an hour a week. I can't get one. I can't get a young coach that wants to come and coach for free for an hour really? a week. You know, it's get your head in the sand. Like when I started, I was lucky like that story. I I um for every day for two weeks I I sat in the corner of a room asking James Smith questions whilst he was coaching an individual, and that that two weeks in itself changed my career. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, while we're kind of talking about coach development, um, perhaps give us an insight into the way you work in terms of consultancy, because I mean everyone sort of is drawn to work in, you know, with a team, but there's a lot more opportunities coming as a consultant. So maybe have a little discussion of that. Yeah. Um, so it's funny how things go, you know, um, the industry is the industry, isn't it? You know, and there's, it's the Jekyll and Hyde elite sport. But when you, I think when you get to a point where I realized that, you know, I could do a lot more with, with what I'm doing. Like I had, you know, everyone's got a side hustle, you know, because, you know, I was I was coaching people that won the World Cup on £18,000 a year. 
Um, so you've got to work to to get more money. So having always sort of done that, it got to the point where, you know, I was having to turn people away. Someone contacted me about helping them rehab their ACL and I had to turn it away. And I was like, there's a there is a much bigger picture and a bigger well to this obviously working with the elite sport and stuff you it's an ego stroke it really is um and i would be lying if i didn't admit that like, i like telling people i've worked with the, the level of people that i have and they've been successful however i want to work with the ones that want it the most and then that's when you get really enriching experiences whether that's online uh, through our remote um remote programming stuff or one-to-one uh, bits and pieces uh, that way because um, so I do think that the industry is opening up it will follow I think it's going to follow the American models um, a little bit more so um, because I, you know part of me feels that the you know the, in, the industry the market you know supply and demand coaching prices aren't going to go up because there's more, more coaches coming through, but then they get to seek different opportunities and different avenues for coaches to do well. Um, and, uh, and I just thought at that time, you know, I had a very good opportunity. So I jumped two feet in and, you know, I'm not looking back. I'm, I want to see more parts of the world. I want to work with different organisations. I want to work with different sports um, just to sort of enrich that whole coaching experience you know yeah no definitely I think you benefit a lot obviously it's great working in sports a great environment um, but like I say in in reality you kind of need to do something else but not yeah. just from a financial perspective from the experience of working with different populations different environments and things like that it's yeah. it's, uh, it's a lot more rewarding um, so. one of one of my first clients was my mum right <laughs> and that was the most eye-opening coaching experience of my life yeah. like walking to that like, first time walking into um professional rugby gym that was a walk in the park trying to coach my mum i was terrified <laughs> like as you can imagine like those you know and especially this is the thing that some people you know the, the that they may not be adverse to it's like just because you've got so and so on your cv or whatever you've done when you're in that consultancy world um, and you're working with like it could be just your mate, but your mate's forking out of his own pocket to cope for you to coach him that he works hard for that money. It's not some investor that the the player in a club never pays you directly uh, in the club. So your responsibility to that person is even greater. It's not less just because he doesn't walk out in the Premiership every week. It's actually higher. Yeah, yeah definitely a good way of looking at it. Um, and now again coach development any sort of books or resources that you'd recommend for, for developing coaches yeah so um, all right, I'm looking I'm on my desk here um, and the books that I have got um, super training um, the governing dynamics of coaching by James Smith applied sprint training by James Smith special strength training manual for coaches the science of running Ultimate MMA Conditioning, um, DB Hammer's The Best Sports Training Book Ever. Um, I don't know if you can actually get that anymore. Um, okay, I've heard of DB Hammer. I think I've read a few of these things online, but I've never 
never seen the book yeah it's all about um nervous system manipulation um mm. and it's it's pretty cool um and the mechanics of sprinting and hurdling by ralph mann uh and also not to mention my main man uh joel smith he's just re- released his book um and that's 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 really good um the science of sprinting i think it's called um but yeah those those are the sort of the books that i've got and listen jamie like mate i am i'm dyslexic like so i I don't read a lot <laughs> i'm not gonna lie like i say i've got these books i go back to these books when i've got to solve a problem yeah so my coaching directs my reading i'm not one of those coaches that can recite research like it's gospel I, i've got better things to be doing. Yeah. um do you know what I mean? And, and that's like I, I, when I first started listening to podcasts and people said, oh, "I read this book, I read this." It's like, well, listen, mate, what else do you fucking do? Do you actually cope? <laughs> you're reading all the time, like, you know, they're very much reference texts. They're very, very much reference texts. I learn more from my athletes than I do out of the books. Yeah. It kind of it just bridges the gap for me. And listening to podcasts, obviously. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good way to do it because sometimes if you if you kind of you know force yourself just to read through it, you you know how much of it do you actually retain whereas if you're yep. going to look at it with you know actual problem in mind of solving it you know you'll you'll take in you know that little bit that little bit more um and obviously it's relevant to what you're what you're currently doing um so that's yeah good advice um yeah, and then sure. then lastly sam where can people learn more about you and uh also i know you've got a, an event coming up maybe maybe talk about that yeah yeah so um obviously uh so I'm, I'm very active as uh, on social media. Um, oh God, that's my phone ringing. <laughs> um, the so at Coach Portland on Instagram um, and Facebook Sam Portland. Um, those are sort of the two main platforms. Um, I don't really. I do a little bit of posting on LinkedIn, but you, there's some fucking noises on LinkedIn. It's weird. Um, and they're just like, yeah, some of the stuff that I get. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, and um my website coachsporting.co.uk which has got all um all the sort of some of my manuals and, and bits and pieces on um but the yeah so I've, I've basically um on the 23rd of june i've got uh i basically put together a summer tour of presenting and you know moving into this consultancy world it's important that i feel to share some of my experiences um we've all been through conventional education and you know um i may get told off for this but a lot of uh, academic courses don't prepare coaches for the real world um and so i've decided to you know put put my ideas on the line uh, i've done a few bits of presenting before but i'm going i'm presenting in L- london on the 23rd of june i'm doing a six hour applied speed workshop that's based out in acton which i'll give you some links for um and then i'm going to Birmingham, Manchester and Belfast over the summer as well. So to just to put on um, different different types of events, you know, Birmingham's going to be um, ballistic training progressions in, in safe manner because I think with it, I was with Brian Mann a few weeks ago and we were talking about adaptation curves and, you know, how people jump and you'll know this like about the sequence of all, uh, exercise progression is huge because otherwise you'll miss adaptation twice. Yeah because you're cooking it too early 
and, and you're underachieving things. So I'm trying to put some stuff together of, of that. Um, but the one in on the 23rd, a six-hour applied workshop, I did um, a speed seminar in Birmingham. And the it was it was so cool because the sun came out and we couldn't access the projector slides. So I did three hours of um, of presentation, literally off notes. Um, and so it was mad. It was really really good because it it completely transformed the way um, that the presentation was delivered. But it just became more highly um, verbal and coach interactive. Whereas this one is going to be completely applied. So we're basically unpacking acceleration, max velocity, change of direction, warm-ups, tempo, um, coach observations as well, which is huge, and coaches, coaches coaching coaches, if that makes sense. So it's going to be like a real high-level facilitative workshop where you, know, you are not just going to be standing and sat behind your clipboard making notes. You're going to be on the coaching floor and you're going to be working to get better. Um, and I, I, I've never been to a seminar like it. So I thought, you know, whenever I try and produce something like that, it's what would I, what would challenge me? What would I want to do? And what really, what do I need to do as well to get better? Um, so it's helping me unpack all my ideas and then re rebuild them all back up. Um, so it's going to be pretty awesome. And that's, yeah, so like I said, that's on the 23rd. Um, and uh yeah i'm hopeful hopeful you know just to keep doing more it's important that coaches can come together and you know help each other get better as, as stupid as that sounds because you know what it's like when you're in that club environment it's very insular yeah. it's very difficult to get out to cpd i never i'll never do a cpd event on a weeknight really um i'll only do them on a on a sunday because i try and get it for the guys um that may have that Sunday off. You know, it's the times that I could go if I was coaching full time. I try and think about the coaches first as well, which is yeah. important. Um, yeah, so that that's coming up very very soon. No, that's awesome. It sounds really good. Um, yeah, I think like you say, some of the the education stuff it really doesn't touch into that kind of that coach's eye thing, which you know that's the the biggest thing. Um, yeah. Because they kind of mention it, say yeah, you need to work on it, but to actually be there with coaches sort of teaching you and showing you how they've developed that'd be really interesting so of course we will share all all links to your social media and, and website and and to that event um sounds really good and um yeah thanks very much for for coming on the podcast been great to talk to you and and all the best for the future no worries man i think it, it just feels like we just got started i was just warming up <laughs> well yeah more than happy to you know have a repeat a repeat yeah. podcast it'd be good to to tie up later down the line it'd be really good yeah that's awesome mate i really really appreciate it thanks for having me on you're welcome yeah so a great podcast uh thank you sam for taking the time to talk to us uh tons of information there for developing and experienced coaches um and of course if you're um if you're interested in speed development please check out sam's uh, sam's upcoming uh speed workshop um you know, sounds really hands-on, which I think is, is something that's lacking in a lot of coach education stuff. So um, definitely, definitely worth checking out. And of course, we will share links to all of Sam's uh, content and of course his his upcoming workshop. Uh, but in the meantime, guys, please subscribe to us and give us a five-star review on whatever you use, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn or iTunes uh, or Spotify these days. Um, and of course, um, stay tuned for more podcasts on the way and check us out at rugbyrenegade.com now. We'll
Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade Podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at rugbyrenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, building machines.